I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. My guest today is an internationally recognized author, a teacher, and a healer. With more than 20 years of experience in the Spiritual Healing Forum, she is an authority on connecting people to the ancient wisdom of the Akashic Records. Lisa Barnett founded the Akashic Knowing School of Wisdom, where thousands of students from around the world have learned to access their own soul's intelligence in order to live a more fulfilled life. What is soul intelligence? What is the Akashic Records? Just like you, I actually have no idea. I mean, I know very little. But maybe before you have to go to school, Lisa and I can discuss a little bit what that ancient wisdom is all about. But perhaps before you go to school, Lisa and I can give you an overview of what Akashic knowing is all about. What is an Akashic school? What are Akashic records? What is your soul intelligence? Lisa's newest book is called Your Soul Has a Plan, Awaken to Your Life's Purpose. I think that is a topic that is truly worthy of investigation. I will say though, before we start, that of course, you know, I do have a bit of a scientific view of things. So sometimes I don't always accept stories that are about things we cannot truly prove. But I also believe that so many things do exist, things like love, for example, that cannot be proven by science. So I ask you today to keep an open mind and an open heart to a view of our world and our existence that you may not have heard before. Maybe within it, you'll find a way to awaken to your life's purpose. Lisa Barnett. First of all, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for putting in the time. It's really quite serendipitous that we talked about getting together a while ago and then that one week where everything is showing up is when we actually speak. So I hope you will enjoy this as much as I believe I will. Oh, thank you. Well, I feel very honored to be the one who gets to share the Akashic wisdom with you and and uh, hopefully I will honor the records by sharing it so that it's understandable to everyone. I think you will do very well, but there, everyone is the key word here, because honestly, I believe that many of our listeners, you're probably going to introduce the concept to a few thousands, if not tens of thousands today. So, so I want to talk about you as well, if, if that's okay, but I want to first get our listeners to not touch that dial and continue the conversation by introducing them to what the Akashic wisdom and the Akashic records are. Then we talk about your story of getting there, and then we get back to the wisdom itself. So what are they? What is Akashic Wisdom? What are the Akashic Records? The Akashic Records are the recording of your soul's journey throughout all time. So if you imagined that the moment you individuated from source, you went on a journey, you started your journey. And we really are eternal. And so there's no time connected to when we started our journey, but it has been a long journey for all of us, let me just say, and in so many more places than just here on earth. So everything you have been or done, every place, dimension, or plane you have lived in is part of this recording of your soul's journey. Pause here for a second, because you said so many profound things. Okay, so first of all, you're saying the source. Second, you're saying soul journey to other dimensions. So you're saying there are other dimensions. Third, you're saying so many lives. So this is some kind of reincarnation, maybe even more. And fourth, you said we're eternal. We're going to come back to all of these because I think these are big, big, big topics to discuss. 
go on. So everything is that happens through that soul journey, which is infinite really, is recorded somehow. So this is sort of the backup disk of the entire processing of a lifetime of your compute power. Yes, absolutely. So I often say that if you imagined you were born with a GoPro video camera strapped to your head, and every night when you went to bed, you uploaded your day to the cloud, and it stayed in the cloud forever, and you could, whenever you want to go back and say, I wonder what I was like when I was 10 years old, or a hundred lifetimes ago, and you could actually go and view those videos. It is the concept behind this. And of course, for many of us who maybe are not quite as techie, (laughs) it would be like you have your very own library. So you would have thousands of books, each book representing a lifetime. Hmm. And yes, the great extra great gift is that not only do you have a library all your own, you have your very own librarians who are here to help you find the books you're looking for. So sort of guides or masters somehow that you can go and talk to and say, look, I don't really want to be the techie that searches for that file, go and find that file for me and tell me what that file is. Correct. Okay. And you talk about this because? (laughs) (laughs) Because each of us writes a soul plan before we come into a body. And there is great information and wisdom in that plan. And that soul's plan is stored in your Akashic Records. Oh, hold on. That's one more mega statement here. So the Akashic Records is not only what's past, but also what's about to happen. What your soul planned and would like to happen. So the interesting thing is that nothing is written in stone. Our lives are not predestined, but we do make a plan. Same way if you started a business and you wrote a business plan, but it didn't work out very well, (laughs) you may not follow that business plan or you may follow that business plan. Our soul plan is kind of like that. We put a lot into it and we accomplish some of it. And uh, how detailed is that plan? Do I plan what I will have for dinner tonight or is it a little more high level? It's definitely more high level. So we plan what souls we would like to support in our life. So we actually write soul contracts with other souls to be with them in all ways, right? So we do often write a soul contract with our parents, with our siblings, sometimes with our our grandparents. Sometimes it has more to do with our ancestral lineage, but we write plans to have children or not to have significant partners, or sometimes not, but to have people in the world that support us. So we always write some support soul contracts with other people. We wanna support them and they wanna support us. These are souls that we've often been with in many other lifetimes. Mm. So that is one aspect. Okay, so it's a bit of a, when we play a multiplayer video game online, we tell four other players, hey, we're going to meet in the arena at 7 p.m. and we're going to bash the other guys, right? So that's the kind of a plan, right? Maybe one of us will not show up. Maybe one of us is going to play badly. Maybe we will get together and just chat and not play. But that's the intention if we want. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) That's a great, great um, way of describing it, especially for people who... Our video games. Play online games. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Unlike me. But yes, yeah. it totally makes sense. Okay. So Lisa, I think we will probably need to, are you free tonight? Because we're probably going to have to talk until 9 p.m. your time. It must be morning in San Francisco, but just to yes. grasp all of this. Right? So, <laughs> but I want to talk about you first. You were not always into that stuff. You were a corporate employee, a fully engaged, normal 
lost soul like the rest of us. What happened? Well, we often have kind of multiple lifetimes in one body. No, no, don't drop those sentences without explaining them. What does that mean, multiple lifetimes in the same body? <laughs> well, it seems like that because when I was three years old, I actually realized that I was trapped back in a body. I had a very odd epiphany. I thought, holy moly, I'm trapped. And I said to my mother, I want to go back. And of course, my mother said, <laughs> really? Weird, weird. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> but I could remember not being in a body. Oh. And so when I was about 13 years old, one of my two very best friends, my two souls, one of my two soul sisters died of a brain tumor. And it actually triggered in me more past life memories. I felt that I was supposed to be able to heal her. I knew in this, I'm a child, right? I'm 13. But I knew that I was a healer, that I had been a healer, and I was supposed to be a healer. And so I felt extra bad. Not only did I lose a friend, which was traumatic in its own right, but it was more traumatic to me because I felt kind of responsible because I felt that I should have been able to do something because I had these past life memories. And so I actually started to study spirituality as a teenager. I studied all through high school and I was studying philosophy at the university. So I was actually on a very spiritual path early on, but when my second soul sister died, in a freak car accident, I basically told God to, you know, take a hike. I'm like, I know I came to do something, but now you've taken my sisters and I'm not going to do it. And so I decided I was going to go on and try and be normal. Oh, that's a profound statement. Some of my top teachers are not normal. I think normal is interestingly a restriction on us humanity, if you think about it the same way that I do. Try to be normal. What is normal? I mean, is being a healer normal, but we shy away from it? Or are the healers a few of us and the rest are normal? What is normal? Well, I think in our world, for most of us, it's been very three-dimensional, right? We live here, we have science, we have things we can prove. Most people in my experience, especially back then, nobody talked about psychics or intuitive information or energy healers, though I was very blessed to be living in California. So that was really helpful. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, capital, the capital of everything misunderstood. Yeah. Right. Like everything, everything goes. Yeah. My parents actually moved from Chicago to California when I was about 12. And so it was just perfect, you know, divine timing. And, you know, I would say I was able at that time, that was the late 60s, early 70s, there was a lot of information just starting to come out about spirituality. The Maharishi was bringing transcendental meditation to the West. Yeah. You know, the Beatles were following the Maharishi. So there was a lot of activity, especially in California, around these more unusual thoughts and beliefs. So there was information to read. So I started to study. But like I said, I studied, I realized I had lived multiple lifetimes. I totally believed in reincarnation as a small child because I could remember other lives. And so when my soul sisters died, I felt like it was a punishment or yeah, you know, I was abandoned. And so I knew there was a bigger purpose, but I felt that without them, I couldn't do that. So I literally remember as a teenager thinking, what do normal people do? Like, <laughs> I, I was not normal already. I was my own unique self. And so I thought, well, they have fun. They want to make money. Traveling sounded like a good idea. So I decided I was going to get a good job, make money, have fun, and travel. 
that was my idea of normal. <laughs> so <laughs> good. So I did. <laughs> If you don't mind me saying, Lisa, this is California normal. Okay, so let's just, <laughs> let's just say other parts of the world see normal differently. And you did you did that <laughs> you did that till when? Well, I actually I went from my my philosophy studies to photography, and I actually got a degree in commercial photography, and ended up back in advertising, ended up getting a job with an ad agency in production. And so I did that for almost 15 years or so, pretty long time, until I got really sick. <laughs> oh. And I ended up with chronic fatigue and had all sorts of chronic fatigue is normally a blend of all sorts of chronic illnesses and food allergies and adrenal fatigue, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. So a, a variety of things. And I had been going to an acupuncturist and she said, you know, I can help you heal your body, but there's something deeper. There's like a soul calling. I think you should go see a good friend of mine who's an amazing, intuitive, clairvoyant psychic. And so I did because I said, okay, I don't know what else to do here. I'm now, I'd forgotten who I was. It was pretty interesting because I was had lived through the um, 70s and 80s in California, which was a bit of a wild time here. Oh, yeah. And so. <laughs> it's still a bit of a wild time in California, but yes, go, go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> so you go to a, a psychic. So explain to me, what is a psychic? I have been submerged in psychic topics recently. I, I've been reading a very interesting book called My Big Toe, which is written by a physicist who is actually a psychic. And so the most complex book you can ever read, it's quite eye-opening when you think about it. So you go to see a psychic and a psychic is what, connected to other dimensions? Yes, yes. So to me, someone who is psychic, they also have like a second sight, they're clairvoyant, they're clairaudient, which means that they can see, not in this realm, but they see images, pictures, sometimes they'll see people who have crossed over, they can speak more clearly to your higher self. Again, kind of connecting into what was your plan? What did you want to do when you came here? So again, seeing a bigger picture than just who we are in our physical bodies, stumbling around trying to figure out what we came to do or who we are. And so really after a three hour reading, which was kind of crazy because it was supposed to be one hour and she went into a deep trance and just kept talking for almost three hours until she kind of came out of her trance and was like, what the heck? Didn't my other <laughs> clients show up? And I'm like, no, no one came and knocked on the door. You know, we're, <laughs> we're sitting here. No one, no one showed up. And so three hours, it was obviously, again, kind of meant to be, right? Those interesting things that just line up for us. And basically my takeaway from that three-hour psychic reading, intuitive reading, was that she said, you're a healer. And I literally said to her, no, I'm in advertising. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's that's the good a good answer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then it literally got through that fog that I'd been living in for 10 plus years. And I remembered who I was kind of before I quit my soul's plan and decided to go off on some random normal life. <laughs> okay. And so you're now still not feeling great. Your body is out of whack. You're completely burnt out. And someone is telling you, hey, you're supposed to be a healer when you're not healed yourself. How does that work? I started to study. I actually did many years. I think I studied with her for about six years. And often the process of becoming a healer is starts with healing yourself. So in the same way, when I teach people to access their own Akashic records, it's all about Akashic self-mastery. It's about healing yourself, understanding yourself, really seeing who you are in this big picture. It's not about learning to do a reading for someone else, because how can you read someone if you don't even know who you are or what's in the records? 
Are you open to sharing some of what she said in the three hours? I mean, do you remember any of it other than you're a healer? You know, I remember her talking about my soul contract with my brother, mm -hmm. which is, was interesting. And I don't remember really specifically, but it was a very big, important contract that I had to support my brother. Now, my brother's two years older than me. And we were always friends. As a matter of fact, I often was dating his best friend. So <laughs> we were probably, I don't know that he was crazy about the relationship, but it worked out very nicely for me. I had these nice guys that my brother had already vetted. <laughs> it's like every, every, every few years you go like, ooh, new best friend. All right. <laughs> <laughs> right? But really, in the end, the, the bigger picture was that I ended up raising his son hmm. and being there really for him, for them. And so it was pretty fascinating to see that bigger picture. Now, I don't think I understood as much as what she told me in those hours. Pretty hard to wrap your head around a lot of the, the big picture items. But many years later, my brother's son moved in with us and he spent quite a few years with us and he lived with us right through his teens and into his 20s. And, and now he recently got married and so we have our first granddaughter. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. That is so wonderful. I want to make a disclaimer here. So I am a scientist. I believe in facts and measurements in the scientific method only about things that I can see. So in my view, the challenge with the scientific method is that it basically says, if I cannot measure something, then it doesn't exist. I challenge that because I cannot measure love and I know love exists. So the correction I normally say to the scientific method is, if I can't measure something, then science is not concerned with it. It's maybe the concern of some other knowledge method. Having said that, I have quite a few of the concepts we're discussing that I cannot prove for or against. So basically, I cannot prove scientifically, if you want, with the way we work on data and facts that past lives are real. And I cannot prove that they're not. There is no scientific way of proving it, right? So I normally put those things in my head in something in an area, a part of my brain that I call compartment two. Compartment two is not proven for, not proven against, I'm completely open to listen to it. And I actually listen to it with sort of like the legal system for me is it's true until proven otherwise. It's possible, it's plausible until proven otherwise. So I, I would love to go with you through this in all openness and describe to me those things so that you get me and all of our listeners at the heart to understand what your experience is. So you start by saying at age 11, you could see your other lives. How is that experience like? For me, and we're all different when it comes to our sixth sense gifts, right? There's clairvoyance, which is seeing, clairaudience, hearing, right? Claircognizance is knowingness, clairsentient, that feeling sense. And I would venture to say that for many of us, they all blend together. So I joke that my clairvoyance needs glasses, <laughs> which means that my seeing is a out of focus Polaroid somewhere in my head, okay? But what comes with that out-of-focus picture that I see, and I don't see it with my eyeballs, there's probably, again, a very small percentage of people who can see more with their eyeballs where they can even see ghostly or angelic form or shape or something where we can see through dimensions. I believe there's a rare person who can do that. But for most of us, psychically, even if you say I'm very clairvoyant, you're seeing it in your head, right? It's a picture. You have a little movie screen in your head where you see these pictures, our imagination. So to me, it would be getting that picture. My eyes would be open. I can see it with my eyes open. And I would know what the story is. So say I see an image of me kneeling over a person. 
and I can see it from that picture, say the maybe the clothes, and I kind of know the place or the time period. And the great thing is, is with the Akashic Records, you can ask questions and get specific answers. So I could say, where is this and when is this? If I don't know it, kind of in that clear cognizant, I just know where it is and when it is. And I can see myself in, say, kneeling over a person and I'm healing them. My hands are hovering over them. And I remember kind of in that feeling sense that in that lifetime, I was a healer and I could heal them through laying on of hands, through touch or possibly not touch. But there's a a knowing, a memory of all of that that usually comes in, in a way, what we call a download. It's like, oh, I just know all of that now. And you feel it in your body. How do you distinguish that from imagining that it happened? You know, I think there's a lot of these things. To me, imagining that would have to be somehow connected and make like almost like imagining something seems to be like using your imagination to make something up. So maybe I would go look up some stories or look up pictures or read about that, maybe what that might have been. What was a healer doing in 1000 BC in the Middle East? what was going on there in Egypt or somewhere, right? And so then I could imagine myself there because I've learned about it. Whereas this comes in more as a download, which is, oh, I just know what that was. Now, sometimes I would say it may be informed. Yeah. So I imagine, for example, that you see yourself as an a Cherokee Indian, Native American, and then living in a certain way. And then you basically verify the records of history. And then the records of history would say, oh, yes, they did actually live that way without you having ever known that before you saw it. Right. That actually is an interesting proof. If this is the way it happens, then honestly... Imagining accurate details is not imagination. This is insight. Correct. All right. So Akashic Records then would go into not just the events that happened. You say your soul lives in multiple dimensions. So it's not just that you were here in 1000 BC and then the year 1920 and so on and so forth. You also could see yourself in other dimensions. What are other dimensions like? Well, many of us live, of course, when we're not in a body, we're in another dimension because we're infinite, eternal souls. And so whether we're just living in, sometimes it looks more just like a energy, it's less formed. I I don't even know how you describe it. So my original memory was when I was little and I realized I was like trapped back in a body where it was like, oh my gosh, no wonder I can't make my mother understand that I don't like whatever that is she's cooking because I'm three (laughs) and my vocabulary isn't so great. Uh But I could remember, and it's interesting because it's me and two other souls looking very etheric. We don't look like angels. We just don't look all that solid, which is, I don't know how else to say that. And we're communicating, but we're not talking. Oh yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, you're telepathic. You, I believe it would almost be if I could just give you the energy ball of story. Yeah. And you could see the pictures and know the dialogue and feel the feelings and you were there. You might as well have just been there. You just got it. Mm. I know that feeling. Yeah, very well. Yeah. And in that case, the records in your perception are what? We're born, we live, we leave, we go into another dimension, we hang out for a while, have a cup of coffee, then come back and then leave. And is that how it is? I think something like that. I actually believe that we do live in other, what we would call other planets or places, that that there are other other worlds that we live in. And over time, or it's all happening at the same time. It's always a little hard to kind of figure out how that puts together. The trick is there is no time. Right. The whole challenge of all of this is that time is a property of this dimension. 
But when right. you're not in this dimension, there is really no time. You could be playing several video games at the same time, really. And so here's kind of the fascinating aspect that I have found with all of my years of being a healer and is that when I go into the Akashic Records, of course, there is no time. So you can fluidly move into other lifetimes and heal trauma in other lifetimes that is affecting this lifetime. Oh, that's a big statement. So this takes us to karma right through. The idea of, of residual karma and, and the fact that whatever happened in your previous life comes with you into this life. That's a whole new angle to the idea of living multiple lives. So is what you're saying that it is not this physical form? So it's not Mo Gaudat this time around that is learning and developing and developing traumas and creating achievements and collecting karma. It's Mo the soul and the soul of Mo collects all of that with it throughout the journey? Correct. Oh, that's a lot of load. <laughs> <laughs> So if you don't mind me saying, there are spiritual teachings that will say that part of those lives, you come as a cockroach and other times you come as a cow and so on. Is that what you see in the Akashic Records as well? So that's an interesting question. I do occasionally get that we do change forms sometimes. So I have met dogs that I swear were not that long ago a person. Now, I think it's rare that we go backwards in that kind of way because as a soul, but I haven't asked them really specifically. I'll have to do that more linearly. There's so much information and I have to admit, you know, I don't know that my brain can comprehend all of it, yeah. figure it out. And so what I see for most of us is that these lives here on earth, they're not progressing linearly either. So there are lives where we were, say, great wisdom teachers, amazing healers, wrote books, discovered whatever inventions, did amazing things. And there's other lifetimes that were more mundane. And I think that, again, because there is no real timeline, it doesn't go from here to here because it's all happening. It's not linear. Right. So you might have been completely an enlightened teacher in 4000 BC and in whatever, 1800, you were struggling pauper. It's not linear that way, but there are patterns and I don't believe they go through our lives in a linear fashion either. So to me, karma is about soul growth. And for most of us, it takes many, many different lifetimes to work through all aspects of that growth. And again, because it's not linear, we may be doing great at one point, and then we make a whole new plan to do and learn something else. And so we're back at kind of square one around a different aspect, around a different karmic pattern, because there's certainly more than one. Yeah, I mean, if you don't mind the video game analogy again, the truth is that's exactly how the video game works. You could finish the entire game or you could go back to level four, which chronologically seems to be earlier than level six, but you can go back and get something done there because you just want to try it. And honestly, most video gamers would probably at least once in their lifetime play as a dog. You know, it's just an interesting experience, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if, if they give me the, the ability to play as the alien, I'll play as the alien. One of the, of the famous video games did that once. Instead of being the human that shoots the aliens, you play the alien and shoot other aliens. And it was fun, right? So sensitive and personal question then. What does that mean to death? That we don't die? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah, I know that somehow, but in a way we do. So my personal story is I lost my wonderful son. I mean, I didn't lose him. He left our physical form and I will never see that physical form again. I mean, I feel his presence all around me. Actually, there is an interesting question around that presence as well. But basically that beautiful, handsome, wise being that he was is no more. So this is the end of that episode, unless both of us decide because of space and time to come play again. Basically, this is done. I'm not going to see that physical form again. 
how does that work in the Akashic Records? Can I have another soul contract with him where he comes in a different form or what happens? Yes. So when we individuate from source, the record keepers are funny because they're pure source, light and love. So they give me these silly stories to explain this stuff, which I seems to work for, for me and for other people. So they say, if you can imagine that a high rise in New York City is source, okay? So this huge building is divine source energy. And when you decide to individuate, you go get an elevator and there's 25 other souls, brand new souls that get in the elevator with you. You come down to the ground floor, you all get out of the elevator, you look at each other and say, now what do we do? <laughs> and yeah. this is your soul family. This is your original soul family. And you make a plan and you decide, Am I get, are we all going to go hop on a bus? Are we going to walk down the street? Now, the interesting part kind of about this story when the record keepers originally told it to me, they said, so imagine you and your soul family walking down the street and there you see this huge building. Now, it's not tall, like sources, but it's a square city block. It's only three stories tall, but it's huge. And you go in, you say, let's go in there. Let's check that out. We don't want to all squish on a bus. And there's too many for a taxi, right? So you go into this building and it turns out to be the New York City Public Library. And in the library, you say, well, we can research where to go and what to do and we can learn some stuff here in the library and you start to learn and you really love it and you go, hey, let's let's stay for a while. This is really interesting. And then the librarians put you to work. And now you're a librarian too. You're a junior librarian, you're mostly filing books, but you're you're working, <laughs> you're learning and you're realizing that you're helping other souls who are embodied to find information about their gifts and talents or their soul contracts or their karmic patterns. And so you become a librarian and you may eventually say, okay, I've got this, I've, I've spent whatever, time in this library. I've helped many souls and now I'm ready for my own adventure. And you leave the library and you go to the airport and jump on a plane and you go on your journey. Now, the reason the record keepers explained this to me was because they had back at that time said to me, would you help us bring the Akashic Record information back to humanity? And I said, why me? Right? At that point, I had three babies and a teenager, right? Oh, yes. My teenage nephew was living with us. Mm. My son was one and a half when our twins were born. So I was, to say the least, overwhelmed. And I said, <laughs> I'm really busy here. I'll do this in five years. Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. Why me? Give me a good reason. <laughs> You're negotiating with the guides, Lisa. Well, who does that? You know, I know. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and they said, you were one of us. And this is why we ask you. And I said, what does that mean? And they said, you were a librarian in that big library, just like we are. And then you went on your journey, but you have been one of us. And so you can hear us more clearly than most. And so we're asking for your help. We're asking hundreds of people to help us bring the Akashic information back to humanity. And we'd appreciate it if you say yes. And so what they explained was that around 1000 AD, during the dark ages, they pulled the vibration of the Akashic field away from the planet because people misused it for their own gain. And they said, this information is being misused. We can't leave it so accessible to humanity because humanity is in a, in a dark hole at the moment, right? <laughs> the dark ages, what the heck, right? And, um, and they did. And they pulled it away for almost a thousand years. So it was not until the late 1970s or so 
that they um, said, it's time. It's time to bring it back. We're moving into a new yuga, right? We're moving into a new age. Time for humanity to have this access to their Akashic information again, because it is your birthright. And with all that said, there was no way I could say no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so did they pay well, you think? <laughs> <laughs> they are very supportive. That was my question. So do you think it was worth giving your life to this? Absolutely. Absolutely. How could the Akashic Records be useful for humanity? Well, really in many different ways. But to me, one of the greatest benefits of being able to access your own Akashic Records is that you can ask your record keepers, your librarians, you can ask them your big questions and your little questions. You can ask about soul contracts with people in your life. You can ask about gifts and talents that you want to share with humanity. You can ask about kind of all sorts of different simple and complicated situations. Often I'll say, is it in my highest and best interest to do this, to do this interview, to write another book, to, you know, work at this expo. And so it's about soul alignment. Of course, we have free will, we have choice, total choice. But there are, of course, lots of things that are in alignment and a lot that are not in alignment to us, to what we came to do as a soul. Yeah, so basically they would visit your plan, the plan that you submitted, and they would say, no, no, this Mo guy, don't talk to this Mo guy is not along the lines of your plan. How do you do this physically? I mean, is it through intuition? Do you do a certain practice, a certain prayer? No, the when the record keepers asked me to help them bring this information back, they said, we will give you a process to teach. It's a simple five-step wisdom prayer system. I use a vibrational key in the form of a sacred prayer to open the Akashic records or to move into the vibration and alignment of the Akashic field so that it becomes easy to have that conversation with my record keepers. And I can teach people to do that. And then I would be able to do it myself. It's not like I have to go to you as, you know, like in the cases of psychics, you would have to go to the psychic to tell you something they see. In this case, you would actually be able to access your own records. Correct. That's amazing. Can I ask the biggest question in the room? With the way you describe it, Lisa, it doesn't seem that this life really matters. You know, if I can come back and play 700,000 times, one of the 700,000 times, whether you become a billionaire or you just have a reasonable life, like you said, if you meet your purpose or sometimes have a mundane life, in an interesting way, if you see it as much bigger than one life, then yeah, mathematically that one life doesn't really contribute much to the overall score if you want. And definitely one hour or one day or one month or one year of that life is not a big deal at all. I think you're right. In the scheme of things, that's what I get. And what I also know is, is that we come here to this earth. Most of us live somewhere around 500 to maybe 800 lives we get, it's not an easy place to live as I'm sure you're aware. It's, you know, can, <laughs> has a can few challenges. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we come here because it's this unusual place, this unusual realm where we have this physical love. We can hug people and hold them. We can actually be creator beings embodied, right? We give birth. We create life. We have phenomenal sunsets and, and love, right? So it's very different and, and so powerful and so important to us as souls that we can learn so much here. And that's why we love it here. Yeah, we come for the experience. Basically, this is like a, a wonderful vacation that we come to. It's basically um, an interesting squash court that we come to play because we love the game. Yeah, I think it is something like that. Now, I, um, for me, it's been an interesting life because I was born awake. Like I was mentioning in the beginning, I was three years old and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm trapped back in a body. 
And when I asked the record keepers how many lives I've had, because when they first told me that people lived 500 to 700 lives, I was appalled. I thought, seriously? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. This is ridiculous. And then later on, they said, well, you've lived over a thousand lives. And I thought, okay, great. So I'm just the biggest idiot on the planet or, you know. <laughs> I mean, again, a video gamer will tell you, I must have switched on my Xbox more than a thousand times. I played a thousand games. Why not? It's fun. Well, I think you're right. That's kind of the basic theory is, is that it's fun. And of course, they say we often come to help. And so there are so many souls who are on the planet right now helping humanity to make a shift into a higher consciousness because we can now because of kind of a bigger aspect of energetic alignment that it's possible for the planet to awaken, even if it doesn't look anything like that right now. <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, so I, I speak about that a lot, actually. I have to say, if we look at the worst of humanity, it all sucks. It really is quite depressing when you think about it. But if you look at the best of humanity, if you actually peek through all of the madness and just see the best of us, the best of us is divine. It's really beautiful in so many ways. And the best of us is not limited to a few of us. The best of each and every single one of us is so beautiful. If we can shift our perspective and see the good in humans, we're still a very interesting species, I think. And in a way, maybe if that is what shows, then everything would awaken, really. Would you come back? So if we gave you another oh. uh, controller. <laughs> if we do what I believe we're doing and going to do, I would come back. <laughs> okay, you can't speak in puzzles here. So what it is that we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> well, really awakening and that really is about ending all of the old kind of imbalance in the planet, in the world, in humanity, in everything, right? And you would actually be trapped in a three-year-old body again for that? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we can work out an, a different way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, I, you know, sometimes you go like, okay, I, you know what? I'll, ju I'll just chill on the other side for a while and have more coffee, right? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Because I do have to say, I did not like being a child. I, mean, mm. I just was, I spent my whole childhood waiting to grow up. It was kind of like, all right, already, could I be grown up so I can get on with it? You know, so. Exactly. Can we stop the, the, the introduction to the game and start playing? Can you take me to level two, please? Right. Yeah. Interesting when you think about it, because Eventually, when you see that it's worthwhile and that your work is making a difference, somehow the return on investment, if you want, becomes, okay, you know what, life is annoying, but it's worthwhile, sort of. Do you know at all how this whole game will end? I mean, is this 500 to 800 lives infinite? Will that happen forever? You know, I honestly believe we are creating something new which means I believe that we are going to raise the vibration of the whole planet, which means all of humanity, that we will really kind of heal the mess we've made. Mm -hmm. And then it will no longer be the learning ground that it's been for kind of ever. I think that that is the intention, is that we will transform this really into what it probably was originally, this is what I get, which was much more of a Garden of Eden or just a beautiful heaven on earth, just a beautiful place to be, to live and to visit. Yeah. Isn't that amazing that it was a Garden of Eden before iPhones and Facebook and Instagram and all of the technology that we've created and Kit Kats and all of that, it still was a Garden of Eden. And then we added, we added Kit Kats and Coke and it didn't become that much of a, <laughs> of a very joyful place. It's really quite interesting. I think about that a lot recently because of the advancements of artificial intelligence, which is my new book. The idea that we create so many things when it was originally a Garden of Eden. 
and you just get hung up in that hamster wheel somehow. This is a very optimistic way, though, to conclude and say, we probably will go back to this. But I can't let you go before I ask the one important question that most people disagree on. You say we come from the source. And then you said the source was a big high rise in New York City. (laughs) Others call the source God, others call it the divine, others call it love. What is the source in your perception? I believe it is everything. I don't think I have any really different or better answers. To me, it feels like just the energy of love when you open your Akashic records and move into that vibration, it feels like you're wrapped in love. There is no judgment. There is only love and support. And I believe that though my brain can't imagine everything, I believe that everything truly is that creative energy of, of source or the divine or, you know, whatever name that you refer to it. And I know that it is phenomenal and fluid because we can move outside of time and space and have these experiences and have these ideas. And, and it feels to me like it's creative love. I, you know, those are like the two juiciest energies that I get. And I really believe it is all, you know, positive because it is love. And so when we can be that and see that, in everyone, then we will truly create heaven on earth again. I think I will leave it at that. I think that's been the most informative conversation on something I knew nothing about, but it seems to also converge on lots of what we constantly ponder. I love, love, love that you brought this to my attention. I'm so grateful for your openness and for your positive commitment to seeing our planet awakened, which I think is uh, is important for everyone. Very, very grateful for your time. Very grateful for your openness. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Mo. It has been a joy to have this conversation with you. And you have made me think about more new questions to ask the Akashic <laughs> Record Keepers. <laughs> I told you I was going to keep you for nine hours and we would have thought about those things together, but perhaps we should let our listeners leave. Before you go, I just want you to remember that slow-mo is really about finding those moments where you can actually get away from the noise and the pace and even the preconceived notions and try to reflect on something that is full of awe and wonder and maybe something that you haven't thought about before. It's always, always, regardless of our busy lives, there is always a bit of time to slow down. I hope that you enjoyed this as much as I did. And if you found it interesting and informative, go ahead and visit Lisa's work, read Lisa's book. And of course, tell others about what you have heard here that you may know others who are interested in the topic. Either way, please do help us continue to grow our community by rating the podcast a five stars on Apple Podcasts and posting about it on social media if you can. I am very, 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 very grateful for the alibi that you give me to meet so many interesting people. And um, hopefully we continue to open our minds to interesting and different conversations. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.